Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. This is not my first sermon ever. This is actually my second sermon ever uh, because of the early, early service. So I just want to thank our pastors, uh, Rod and Val, uh, the elders, Jerry, Maria, the other elders, where are we, where are we at? Where are we at? I think we got Joey back here somewhere. Uh, all the core lay leaders that have faithfully served uh, over the years. Sharon, in the media booth. I sit next to Sharon sometimes in the media booth. Uh, but Jesus says in John 4, 38, I sent you to reap for that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. And I'm entering into the labor that you guys have been doing for the last 18 years and beyond. So thank you for not giving up in the hard times, in the trying times, or in the fun times, you know, going out on top, right? Uh, So about a year ago, a little about myself, about a year ago, my wife and I moved down. We were packing up our big Penske truck from, by the way, Penske gives you like the best rates, in case you're looking. Uh, We were packing up our big Penske truck from Minneapolis, Minnesota, to make the three days journey down to Palm Coast, Florida, 26-footer, towing behind, you know, our car, and I felt like a trucker. I learned about travel centers during that road trip and the wonderful glory that they are. I never experienced that before. And at the end of the, end of the trip, I actually had to go. I told my wife, I'm like, I need to buy a trucker hat because I feel like I earned it. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we packed up, and at the time, I was working with a ministry called Engage Your Destiny, wonderful ministry. Uh, run by one of my really good friends, Ben, and we we threw a, a big party. And uh, Engage Your Destiny reaches our men and women of uniform for Christ and for re- resiliency training with PTSD care. And we threw we threw a big party. This is actually down the street at the Daytona International Speedway, and it was called the Heroes Honor Festival, and it was a tribute to our Vietnam veterans who served um, for being the guardians of honor and protecting the welcome home of our 9-11 era veterans. And it was uh, a wonderful time. There was a a passing of the baton of honor from our Vietnam veterans to our 9-11 era veterans. And we had so many testimonies. We had over uh, 30,000 people attend. We had over 1,200 people, uh, 1,200 veterans enroll in PTSD care on the spot. Uh, We had mobilized a network of ministry partners uh, to help uh, in that process and that follow-up. And that event exposed us to this area. So when my wife and I were sitting in, in Minnesota in the middle of winter, and we're thinking about where should we move to, we looked at a couple different places, and the Flagler County, Palm Coast, Flagler Beach, won out. So we actually moved here, not actually ever being here. And it was the start of our Abrahamic journey, as I like to call it. So our theme this year, if this is your first time with us today, our theme that we've been going through is called Reaching Out from a a Place of Strength. And so my aim today is to present to you Jesus himself because he is the source of our strength. He, Jesus tells us, without him we can do nothing. 
So have you ever had someone in your life who was like a catalyst in your walk with Jesus where you're, like, you're kind of like, you know, maybe you're trucking along, maybe a pretty good clip, you know, but you're going one way and then you meet this person and all of a sudden your life changes and it goes in a completely different direction and a, a new catalyst, like they're a catalyst, they launch you into a new, new way. And, you know, for me growing up in in high school and growing up in uh, Wisconsin, I grew up in this kind of little area called Shire. It's like Lord of the Rings, you know. It's this place called La Crosse, Wisconsin. God's country, the holiness is right there. Um, no, but it's this area nestled right between these bluffs and rivers and this kind of majestic Midwestern scene. And I had to come to, to Jesus' moment in high school. But towards the end of high school, and into college, I got really involved into the party scene and party life, and I joined a fraternity, and I was always the guy behind the party. I've always had a mind for operations and analytics and systems, and so I'm the guy actually organizing, you know, how this party is going to happen, and then I'd partner with promoters, you know, <laughs> so maybe, maybe you have a promotional gift, right? Um, but that was me, and thankfully in my time, yeah, here we go, there I am. That's me in college, having a good time. And that's one of my lifelong friends, Jordan, who is now also a brother in Christ. And uh, that's after, I think, yeah, one of the Minnesota Gopher football games on the street there. And, and so, thankfully, Jesus got a hold of my heart in college and started making kind of, you know, micro chiropractic adjustments uh, to, to my life. But then I met someone, right? I met there was a catalyst in my life, and I met a guy named Dave. There's a photo of Dave, and Dave was actually, he was the first Christian man that I looked at his life, and I said, you know what? I respect that. I respect the way that you're living. I respect the way that, how you live your life, from the way that you engage with your family, the way you engage with your kids, how you talk about your wife when she's not present, how you run your business, how you meet and engage with your employees, how you're involved in the local community, I respect that. And Dave, you got something a little extra that I haven't seen before. Because growing up, we were kind of like Christmas, Easter only kind of Christians, right? And so I had this image that Christian men were weak, to be honest with you. And I thought they were pushovers. I thought they were pacifists. That they were not Arnold Schwarzenegger. They weren't, you know, like the Terminator. They were not like a Sylvester Stallone. They were not like this action hero that I kind of grew up watching, right? Um... But I thought that they, they were just kind of pushovers. And Dave was the first guy that I go, wait a minute. You've got something, and I don't have it. I want to learn more. And so Dave invited, he had a college Bible study that met at his house over the summer. And this is after my freshman year. And I remember, you know, going to the Bible study, and as things started to happen, like, he, he would, you know, talk about Jesus and how, you know, Christ is in you. And, and I would go up to him afterwards and like Nicodemus to Jesus, you know, and he's like, hey, hey, Jesus, like, I want to ask you a question, but just like not in front of everyone else, like, just come, come over late at night, and I would like wait for everyone to leave, and I'd be like, Dave, I got a question for you. I, I loved you, like, I'm, I'm, I'm pursuing Jesus, I'm, I'm, I want to follow him, but I feel like I pick up my Christian bag, and I, I take three to four steps, and I just fall, and, and I, and he's like, well, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> like, wait a minute. Hold up. Like, I'm like, I'm I'm kind of like nodded. I didn't I respond that way. I just kind of nodded. I'm like, oh, interesting, you know. Uh, but inside, I'm like, are you serious? Like, 
I am sincere. I want to follow Jesus. I, 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 I sincerely and earnestly want to be like him. And I went back the next week and had the same conversation with him. And he said the same thing. You're doing it wrong. I had that conversation for seven weeks. Ever take, you know, someone take a little while to get something? Took me a little while to get something. And the late theologian and pastor, and he was the dean of the school of philosophy at USC, Dallas Willard, says this. Reality is what you run into when you're wrong. And boy, was I wrong. And you might find yourself in that situation that I was in, where it's God saved you, and you're part of the family of God, and we're glad to have you, but now pick up your Christian bag and start walking in your own power, in your own strength. In America, we actually have a Christianity, I believe, that is predominantly dominated by moralistic deism versus biblical, gospel-centric Christianity. We've created a gospel where you actually don't have to have the life of Jesus flowing through you to be considered a Christian in many places. All you have to do is give loose mental assent to Jesus is God, whatever that might mean to you, and do some Christian activities. Come to church, serve on a team, give 10%, go on a missions trip, but only if you really want to be holy, right? Go on a missions trip. We've all been there. I've been there. I create checkboxes of what it means to live righteously before God, only to check the boxes and after three to four steps with my Christian bag fall in your, right? And your, your, your life is not actually transformed into what Jesus promised. It's not actually, you're not experiencing the shalom that God promises. Ever been there? I've been there. And we wonder why Monday comes and we don't feel regenerate, we don't feel we're really changed. We don't feel like God is really with you and you get to the end of the week and you feel ashamed because you feel like you let Jesus down, you let your family down, your friends down, your spouse down, let yourself down. And we think to ourselves, maybe next week. Maybe next week you'll make progress towards being Christ-like. We've been fed an image of what the perfect Christian is And when we fail to meet it, it breaks us. And we find ourselves in a place of what I call hopeful, hopeless optimism. We know we ought to be different, but we don't know how or when it's actually going to happen. So I want to ask you, what's in your Christian bag? What are the things that if you do them or don't do them, you feel like you're good with God? right? As long as I have my consistent Bible study time, check, right? As long as I fast all the way through and don't quit halfway through, and, right? Check, right? As long as I don't do that thing, check. As long as I do this thing, check, right? There are many reasons I believe that you might, be, you might feel burnt out or you might feel like you don't have the power and life of God flowing in your life, but I believe one of the main reasons is we typically only preach one half of the gospel. And it goes something like this. God so loved you that he sent his one and only son to die for you, to pay the penalty for your sins so you don't have to go to hell when you die. We preach a gospel for death and not one for your life. 
No wonder the gospel doesn't apply to your life. I told you it only applies to your death. Major Ian Thomas, uh, he was a major in the British Army in World War II. He was the founder of uh, the Torchbearers Bible School, an evangelist in England, and in my opinion, one of the best orators of the gospel, said this. May I ask you a question? Given that you've received the Lord Jesus Christ, your Redeemer, who died for you historically 2,000 years ago, once and for all, by this one sacrifice for sins, forever to reconcile you to a holy God, would you tell me this? Does the knowledge that your sins have been forgiven in of itself equip you for a life of godlikeness? Does the knowledge that your sins are forgiven because you've claimed Christ as your Redeemer, you've pleaded his precious blood, you've named his name, you've called upon him, you've been accepted by the Father in the Beloved, and your name has been inscribed in the Lamb's Book of Life with this rich assurance of your eternal destiny and security in itself impart to you any new capacity to live a different kind of life from the life that you lived before you were redeemed. I'm going to submit to you, he goes on, that the knowledge that your sins have been forgiven add absolutely nothing to your spiritual capacity to be a different kind of person. It might create within you quite legitimately a holy ambition to be different out of a sense of gratitude and love, out of a sense of duty to the one who died for you because of an emotional attachment, a sentimental regard, and a deep sense of loyalty. You will want to be different, but the knowledge that he died for you and your sins are forgiven because he died for you in itself does not impart to you any new spiritual caliber of living. And if all that Jesus did when he came to this world 2,000 years ago was to live that sinless life, to qualify him for the redeeming gift, and then go straight back to heaven and simply wait until you got there, that would not be much of a salvation. It would be a salvation that made you fit for heaven and left you hopelessly inadequate for earth. Yet all too often, this is the gospel that we preach. Come to Jesus, have your sins forgiven. Now roll up your sleeves and show him that you love him. See, the Christian life isn't difficult. It's impossible. It's impossible. We forget that the very reason that Jesus that we need Jesus is because none of us could ever live before God in, per, in holiness. As Paul writes in Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, no, not one. We all fail to pass the test before a holy and just God. We are all condemned before his glory and perfection. In of ourselves, we stand guilty and deserve the just judgment of his wrath. But there's good news. Anyone like good news? Here's the good news. The good news is that over 2,000 years ago, God, by his grace, not by our self-effort, sent his only begotten son, Jesus. He was born not into sin, like you and I, but born into life through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the Virgin Mary, to live the perfect life so, before his father so he could be the perfect sacrifice. God came down as man... Fulfill, to be the Messiah, fulfilling over 300 prophecies as the Messiah was declared by the religious rulers and Pontius Pilate to be perfect without sin so that he could be the perfect Passover lamb to die for your, your and my past, present, and future sins. He rose again three days later on the feast of first fruits as the first fruits of a new kind of humanity to prove that he is God and disarm the powers of death and the devil. Amen. 
So here's my question. If we needed Jesus then to save us from the wrath prescribed to us by the law because we couldn't live in perfect godliness, what makes us think we can now in our own strength live the godly life of Jesus after we've come to accept him as Savior? So where do we go wrong? How do thousands and tens of thousands of Christians who, who profess Jesus feel empty, defeated, crushed by the burden of our Christian bag as we earnestly try to follow God? I'm a big fan of World War II movies and TV shows. And one of the ones that I really like is one called Band of Brothers. And I, I, feel, I started, like, watching it religiously almost in, in college, like, once a year, you know, on D-Day, which was just last week, actually. Um, the series follows Easy Company of the 101st Airborne on their deployment through Europe from D-Day, where they parachuted in behind enemy lines, um, all the way to the, when they captured the Eagle's Nest in Austria. And there's this great scene in episode three when Private Blythe is talking to uh, Lieutenant Spears. And Private Blythe is kind of, you know, divulging his struggles of the war and his struggles to engage in the combat to Lieutenant Spears. And I think it describes our struggle perfectly. Got some nervous privates in your company? We do, sir. I can vouch for that. You just don't see how simple it is. Simple what is, sir? Just do what you have to do. Like you did on D-Day, sir. Lieutenant. Sir, when I landed on D-Day, I found myself in a ditch all by myself. I fell asleep. I think it was those air sickness pills they gave us. When I woke up, I didn't really try to find my unit to fight. I just kind of stayed put. What's your name, Trooper? Blasher. Albert Blythe. You know why you hid in that ditch, Blythe? I was scared. We're all scared. ditch because you think there's still hope but Blythe the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead and the sooner you accept that the sooner you'll be able to function as a soldier's supposed to function hmm. I love that clip because I think it describes our situation and our, our process in following Christ perfectly When we know that we're dead, we're able to function 
as a soldier of Christ, ought to function. I didn't know that. That was my first issue. My issue is that I didn't know that when I put my faith in Jesus and was baptized into his name, that I actually died. And I was still like Private Blythe. I was still holding on hope that there might be some hope that I'm not going to get out of this alive, right? That my old man is going to be able to survive. I don't know if you know this, but God isn't, he's not in the business of fixer-upper. He's not Chip and Joe, right? My wife, she's, she's, a, she's eight, one, she's beautiful. But two, she's also a really good uh, interior designer. And she makes just these wonderful spaces where you just want to be, there's always something comfortable to touch, you know, or something wonderful to look at. And, but God's not in the business of remodeling your life. He's not going into the rooms of your world and saying, okay, well, let's just, you know, take this wall out. Let's move this here. Let's repaint it there. No, God is in the business of demolishing your old life and building something completely new, an entirely new creation, a new house, better yet, a temple for the living God. Romans 6, 6 and 7. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would be no longer enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. Colossians 3.3, for you have died and your life is hidden in God with Christ. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Romans 6.3, do you not know? I didn't know. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, the old has passed away, the new has come. See, one of the, one of the issues with, with that is we can try to make our old man stay alive, right? We can try to resurrect the old man but I don't know if you know this, but God's not really in the business of creating Christian zombies, right? He's, he's not cre- in, in the business of creating the Christian walking dead. He's in the business of creating new creations that are fully alive, fully inhabited by him. And my issue, my second issue was I was trying to make a dead man alive again. I had come to faith in Jesus. I, has, I, had, I trusted him to pay the penalty for my sin so that I could secure my eternal destiny, right? But I believe that I could in my own strength improve myself. In my own power, in my own mentality, in my own self-effort to live the life that he lived on my own. I wanted to prove my value and my worth, not only to God, but to myself. I wanted to look back and say, see God, see see all the good I did? See how good I am? I wanted to be proud of my faith walk. That's the key word, right? Proud, pride, self-righteousness, self-justification. 
I wanted to be my own God, my own deliverer, but I didn't understand our biggest enemy. I'm a fan of memes, and I think this, this, is, this is a wonderful meme. That's me when I first became you know, a Jesus follower. It might be you when you first became a Jesus follower. It might be someone you know. But it's like you come to Jesus, you have this awesome moment where it's like, wow, this is amazing. I love, I love being like a Christian. This is like a whole new life. This is a whole new world. This is a whole new reality. This Jesus stuff is awesome. Then all of a sudden we take out a rod, not pastor rod, but a different kind of rod. And, um, and we live by the flesh. And <laughs> we just stick that rod right in the spokes. And then ultimately we go, ah, it's an attack, <laughs> right? I think that can be our mentality sometimes, is we're the, this thing is awesome, I love Jesus, I'm gonna live by the flesh, and then, oh, that's an attack, why did that happen? And, um, you know, I think that just, that does capture how we approach it sometimes. And in my world, in my day-to-day life, in my, my work, I, I, I work in predictive consumer experience, marketing analytics, technology, and so I love data, and I just want to share with you a graphic uh, of data, if I, if I can. It's really simple, by the way. So this is a graphic here, uh, and one of the big things that I didn't understand was I didn't understand our enemies. I didn't understand my enemies. And so this 27 and 92, this 27, the blue part, that's the number of times uh, that, that uh, a word's been mentioned. There's is Barry here? No, Barry's not here. Uh, uh, there he is, Barry. Correct me if I'm wrong, Barry, but there's a principle, right, in hermeneutics called the principle of repetition. And it essentially just, uh, if, if something repeats in Scripture over and over, it's kind of like, hey, I want to I pay attention to that. It's maybe not doctrinally, but it's like something to be aware of, right? It just kind of keeps, keeps popping up. Um, this 27 times, this is the, the amount of times that the writers of the epistles and the apostles mention the devil, uh, the antichrist, the enemy, or Satan in their epistles. The, blue, the, the red part, 92, that's the amount of times that they mention the flesh. And I would submit to you for consideration that our biggest enemy is our flesh. Don't get me wrong, the devil is real, and, but, and he, you know, he's not omnipresent. He's not everywhere all at once, like God. But guess where my flesh is? Everywhere I go. <laughs> right here. Everywhere I go, the flesh is near. So it might be helpful to actually like, describe, okay, well, wh- what is the flesh, right? It's, so Dallas Willard defines it like this. Flesh is the natural human abilities considered in themselves and on their own, unaided by divine assistance and direction. The natural human abilities considered in themselves and on their own, unaided by divine assistance and direction. Flesh is our own self-effort apart from God. Flesh does not have the power to fulfill God's ways. In fact, Paul describes the flesh as in war against God. Romans 7, 18. For I know, Paul writes, that nothing good in me dwells that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, 
but not the ability to carry it out. Ever been there? Sounds like a Christian bag to me. Galatians 3.3, Paul exhorts the Galatians church. He says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected in the flesh, by the flesh? I want to share with you what Dave shared with me when I was 19. He says, the Christian life is this. Jesus, living and acting through you by his Holy Spirit, not by your self-effort. Romans 8, 3, and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk according not to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will, desire, and to work, power, for his good pleasure. Colossians 1.27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But 2 Corinthians 4, 7, but we have this treasure in jars, jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to my anointing. Doesn't say that, does it? That this surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. If you'll allow me, this is the Nate Jameson amplified version of Romans 7, 6. But now we are released from the curse of the law, having died to the demands of the law which held us captive, so that we serve God through the new way uh, by the indwelling power of the Spirit and not in the old way through self-effort of the flesh. Well, that's great, Nate. Great opinions. Okay, you threw in some Paul there. I'll give you that. Uh, but what does Jesus have to say about this? John 4, 3, 30. I can do nothing on my own. John 6, 63. It is the spirit that gives life, Jesus says. The flesh is of no help at all. John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. See, the reason Jesus is inviting us into this kind of life is because it's the life that he lived. It's the same life he lived then, now, in us. John 15, 4 or 5, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. One of my favorite resources is a resource called Blue Letter Bible. Free resource online. You can actually get into like the Hebrew and the Greek of different letters. You know what? It's really interesting. If you look up the Greek word definition of the word nothing here, you know what it means? Nothing. Nothing. It means nothing. Right? So how do we live the Christian life? Well, that's the hitch, right? And if you haven't realized yet, you don't live the Christian life. Jesus does. He lives it 
in you and through you. He is the dynamic of his own demands. He is the power behind his promises. He is the only one who ever has and the only one who ever will live the authentic Christian life. We have to have faith in Jesus, not only for the death that he died, but we have to have faith in Jesus for the life that he lives now in us by faith. So let's look at an example. I have a glove. I've never used this glove before, as you can tell. It's not like one of Jerry's work gloves. Here's my glove. Let's say the purpose of this glove is to pick up this Bible. It was designed to do that. But the glove fell into sin, and the Spirit of God left. Put it right next to the Bible. Now this glove is no longer serving its purpose. It's missing the mark. It's dead in its sin and trespasses, and it owes a debt as a result. Let's call it $200 inflation, right? Does the glove have $200? No. It needs someone else to pay it. Thank God for Jesus, right? The glove, you know, the debt has been paid. Jesus paid the debt, and the glove has been redeemed. And the old glove has been made into a new glove. <laughs> I said I was from Minnesota, right? A new, better glove. It's like Thanos Gauntlet from Infinity War. <laughs> and it's been, it's been redeemed. It's been made new. This is a different glove. Okay, glove. You've been redeemed. Do what you're designed to do and pick up that Bible. Because you have been redeemed. I think the glove's trying to work. Do you hear it? Do you see how hard the glove is trying? It's trying very hard. It's very sincere. It's, its intentions are good. Don't, don't get me wrong. I know. What if I preach at it more? Hey, glove. Don't you know that Jesus paid $200 for you? Okay, it's not working. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it an exegetical hermeneutic about how faith without works is dead. That didn't work either. Uh, how about this? How about the 10 steps for optimal Bible picking upping? I'm going to make a whole series about it. I know, I know what I'll do. I'm just going to like silently, passively judge it until it actually picks up the Bible. Not, not doing it. Did you see the glove? He didn't pick up that Bible. Or, or how about this? I'm actually just going to preach at it, its identity until it picks up the glove. Glove, you are a new glove. You're not the old glove. Remember, you are new. It's not working. Hmm. I know what I'll do. I'll put it in a small group with other small gloves. <laughs> They can have a little glove party, and hopefully they'll kind of learn how to pick up Bibles together. See, the glove like you and I, it needs to be inhabited by a new kind of life. It needs to be inhabited by its creator. The glove fulfills its purpose and experiences a new kind of life only when the creator 
fills it. Only when the glove opens its, every part of its being to the creator will it experience that new kind of life. The glove doesn't have strength on its own. It only appears to have strength from the creator working through it. So as I put my hand in this glove, the glove now becomes as strong as my hand. And when God is in you and you let God work through you, the power of God, the strength of God, is that you, you inherit that strength from him. Can the glove pick up the Bible? No. But the creator using the glove can. So how does this look in real life? Uh, Corrie ten Boom, you may or may not know of her, but Corrie ten Boom worked against the Nazis in World War II, and she hid Jews in her home, and she was sent to a concentration camp as a result. And she saw her father, her sister die at the hands um, in, you know, of the, the soldiers in the concentration camp, and she suffered probably more than any of us will ever suffer in our lifetime. And Corey writes this. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him, the former SS man who had stood guard at the shower door in the processing center of Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers I had seen at that time. And suddenly it was all there. The, the room full of mocking men, heaps of clothing, beside Betsy's pain-blanched face. The soldier came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and moaning. How grateful I am for your message, Fraulein, he said, to think as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, and I who preached so often to the people of Blomendal, the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin in them. Jesus had died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I pray, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing. Not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so, again, I breathed a silent prayer. Jesus, I cannot forgive him. Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, through my hand, there seemed a current to pass from me to him. And, while, and then my heart sprang up with love for a stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And in so doing, I discovered that it's not only, it's not on our forgiveness, it's not on our forgiveness any more than on our goodness that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command the love itself. Philippians 2.13, right, said, for it is God who works in you, both to will the desire and to work the power for his good purpose. So as we close, the question is, what are we supposed to do now? Well, our aim is not to exert more self-effort 
in our own flesh. Our aim is to abide in Christ and let him abide in us, to make our lives wholly available to the wholeness of God. We, by faith, present our bodies as instruments for righteousness. We make our lives available to his power and his will. What does that mean? It means my body, my thoughts, my time, my money, my resources, my energy are not mine, but Christ's. It's no longer my life. I've died. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer my desire, it's, but it's his power that lives in and through me to will and to act according to his good purpose. I want to pass along a prayer that Dave taught me when I was 19 as we close. Jesus, see through my eyes, speak with my mouth, love with my heart. Jesus, see through my eyes, speak with my mouth, love with my heart. Pray that prayer every morning and night for 30 days and see what God will do through you. The life Jesus lived qualified him for the death that he died. The death that he died qualifies you to receive the life that he lived. That's the gospel. That's good news. So I just want to ask you, to, if, if you will, please bow your heads, close your eyes. This is just a moment between you and the Lord. We're not keeping tallies. We're not checking up on people. But this is just a moment, an opportunity between you and the Lord. If you feel like you have been carrying a Christian bag of the things, if I do these or I don't do these, I'm good with God. Or if you've never even put your faith in Christ, I just want to give you an opportunity to respond. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, if you feel like you've been carrying a Christian bag, and you're tired and you're burnt out because you've been carrying it in your own flesh. If you would, just, just shoot up a hand. And if that's you where you've never put your faith in Jesus, you may have been searching, you may be curious. If that's you, I, I want to ask you to, and you want to know him, and you want him to fill your life and you're tired of living in the old glove, and you want to be made a new glove, and you want to receive his power in your life, if that's you, just throw up a hand. If you will, just repeat after me, pray this prayer with me. Jesus, thank you that you died for me. Thank you that you have made me a new cre creation. Thank you, Jesus, that, that my old life is dead. It was crucified on the cross. It was buried in baptism. And you've made me new. And I give you, Jesus, access to every part of my life, my thoughts, my resources, my time, my energy, I give it to you. 
Would you come inhabit me? Give me your strength. Give me the will, the desire, and the work, the power for your good pleasure. In Jesus' name, amen. lot to ponder on. Hallelujah. Many times we've said it from this pulpit that we're the vessels through which divine favor flows, preventing misfortune in the lives of others. But as Nate preached and mentioned to us that there's areas that we don't surrender to him. We kind of keep it uh, and uh, don't deal with it. Ronald Bonker preached one day and he said that the one day this Christian came to me he says you know you said if Jesus comes into my life my life will be this and my life will be that he says and it hasn't been so and Ronald Bonker said he says this is what actually happens what you normally do is that you you renovate the attic of your life for Jesus and you give him full reign of the attic and then the enemy comes in in the basement and cleans you out and you're complaining. But Jesus, you're in the house. He says, no, you only gave me the attic. How much of your life are you giving to him? And I sense Holy Spirit's going to start right now and work through this week. If you allow him to look at every nook and cranny of your life, and if you would surrender and say, Jesus, search me, no more heart. See if there be any place that I haven't given you space and given you full control. Just do that. Amazing what he'll do. I think that's first base this week. Second base is that you're the vessel through which God's going to work. There's places and spaces I can't go. We can't go. But you can. There's friends and people and unsaved and, and hurting people and unkind people and not so nice people that God's going to bring you encounter. Will you be the Jesus right in that space, in that time? Would you do that? Can I commission you to do that? Because that's what Scripture commissions us. And I'm talking to myself. We miss so many opportunities, so many opportunities to let His kindness flow through us. So let me pray for us because we can't do this. I, I keep telling people, I can't do this Christian thing in my own strength. You can't do it in soul power. It doesn't work. Falls flat. But allow the quickening power of the Holy Ghost to come in. Say, God, use this earthen vessel. And let us be, have ears to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. And let us walk the walk. And let's talk the talk. And let our hearts be the heart of Jesus in every situation. Would you want to do that? Whoa, what a satisfying life. What a fulfilling life if we do that. So let me pray for you. I think you need to stand up so you get a full dose of the Holy Ghost and not get all crumped up there sitting on your seat. Hallelujah. Posture yourself however it may be. You may want to put a hand up. You may want to put a hand out. You may want to put, oh, say, Father, we earthen vessels desperately need you to fill us afresh. Thank you, Father, that you fill them with the Holy Ghost and empower them 
to be your eyes, to be your speech and allow them, your heart to pump right through them. Watch this earth change this week because your love is flowing through these vessels. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I look